Galaxy 666 by Pell Toro. Session 65. Welcome back to Galaxy 666, your faithful guide Tug here. Our team of adventurers this week play their alien captors to a nice stalemate. There's no end of tangents, and Pell even awkwardly wraps up some loose ends of issues that had surfaced earlier. We begin with our team unanimously deciding that they should follow the alien's plan and try to contact Bronit, who has barricaded himself in the alien control room. Korzak, for some unconscionable reason, feels compelled to ensure everyone understands that they aren't technically unanimous because Bronit is absent and therefore can't vote. What that has to do with anything is anyone's guess. Next, they decide to take a moment to discuss Bronit's role in all of this and whether he will be the ace of trumps, the highest card in many games and thus the key to winning, or the ace of spades, also known as the death card. Korzak, we think, then quips that it all comes down to who loves life more, the aliens or the humans. From Session 63, we derive the idea that the aliens would resemble the humans in many ways, including being self-aware. This comes from having an imagination, and the imagination is very good at predicting bad outcomes when it lacks sufficient information. Being afraid of the unknown is what has kept us alive, and there are few things more unknown than what, if anything, happens after death. Certainly we can get by with assuming that the aliens will be just as afraid of death as the humans. Despite this obvious imperial lack of knowledge regarding an afterlife, most people seem to have a very good idea of what it shall consist of. And as Mark Twain lamented, it tends to be heavy in things few people can really stand, like harp music, and void on those things that most people really want, like sex. Also, all religions have their own view of an exclusive community that one can only achieve by eating the right foods, saying the right things, blowing up the right bus of schoolchildren, and paying off the right religious leader. Of greatest curiosity is that these same religions profess to follow an all-knowing and all-powerful God, incapable of error. In the God rulebook, there appears to be no foul for creating a multitude of worshippers who don't in fact agree on your existence or hate you outright. By definition, an infallible God cannot be fouled. Certainly, they would not create defective systems. And if there were an infallible God, and it did create man, one would expect that its God system would function perfectly well for all people. And if this were so, one would only have to examine each man to find what characteristics they have in common with every other man. This, then, one could assume, would be the focus, or the desired outcome, of the God system. There are only two potential commonalities. The first is that they are born, which is really required to get the ball rolling. The second is that they die. The fact this is the only thing that connects everyone would indicate that this is the whole point of the creation in the first place. From this viewpoint, we can consider that life is the womb that generates a soul that will then go on to an afterlife, which had always been God's intended state of existence for that soul. Should it turn out that there is an afterlife, then it makes sense that all people, regardless of action or belief in life, would achieve the same reward, as it were. This line of thought fails miserably as a religion for two main reasons. One, it does not allow for the righteous hatred of anyone we don't happen to like at the moment. And secondly, and more importantly, there is nothing to buy. Our team continues to yammer on until Ishclaw finally pushes them to make a decision, and he does so in yet another excessive three-line stanza. For the want of anything better to do, for the want of anything better to say, for the want of any knowledge other than that we already possess... Oski has yet another Tourette's moment in spouting off the title of Dale Carnegie's 1936 classic, 
How to win friends and influence people. Shortly after, our team is allowed to shout up a grated ventilation duct. Who would have a grated ventilation duct in a spaceship? To brone it, to explain the situation. Okay, yes, Star Trek had a lot of ventilation ducts, but their ship looked more like an office building on the inside. And you just gotta have ventilation ducts to sneak around in. You just gotta. It is through this conversation that we get the following random points cleared up. The aliens did only mean to stun our heroes and did not lock them up because they felt they had a lot of time on their hands before the big thaw. The aliens could read the thoughts of the humans as they move them, but prefer to listen, quote, when you are allowed to express your thoughts in words, unquote. When did the humans ever not express their thoughts in words? They were continuing to all mentally blabber away as they were being brought onto the ship. I also love how Bronit asks about the alien he tried to off earlier, and how the alien comes back and states that Bronit really didn't hurt him, just rendered him unconscious, and that it was all cool. And we conclude with Bronit having an idea. This can't be good. But then again, this is... Here ends session 65.